can open your own Bible, or if you don't have access to either of those, you can follow on the screen behind me. Let's turn to the book of Acts. New Testament book of Acts, you got your four Gospels, and then you find the book of Acts. And we'll be looking at uh, chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 42, and uh, running through verse 47. Acts chapter 2, as we continue in our sermon series this morning, uh, comfortable Christianity, looking at the things that God has called us to be committed to. And this morning, we'll be seeing that God has called us to not only be committed to himself, which we talked about last week, but the natural overflow of our commitment and relationship to God is a commitment and relationship with one another. Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 42. Let's pray, and we'll dive right in. So if you would pray with me one more time, please. Father, thank you so much for the privilege of being here. It is, um, it is good to be with your people. It is good to be with your people, and it is good to sit under your word. We're so very grateful for it that we have recorded for us your revelation on all things. And this morning in particular, we have a text before us that gives us a glorious and beautiful picture for what it means to be committed to your local church. For this first church that was uh, given birth by the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2 and then the sort of things that they did to live the Christian life together. What a great picture and example we have. And we want to be that type of church. And we want to have that sort of commitment. And so we pray, Jesus, that you would even now send your spirit upon us to hear your word and to allow your word to impact our hearts and our lives and our church life. We pray. Jesus, we're so very grateful that you have made us into the bride of Christ, that you have called us unto yourself, that you have redeemed us with your perfect life lived for us, with your substitutionary death died in our place for our sins, and your powerful resurrection to give us eternal life both now and forever with you. We are so grateful that you have made us into one church, one body under one bride. And we ask it in your name, Jesus. And God's people said together, amen. Well, the story is told of of a lady who was wanting to go on vacation in Florida. And uh, she was sort of a a delicate uh, lady, very elegant and very uh, prim and very proper. In, In particular, she was like that with her language, with the words that she spoke with and wrote with. And so she wrote a letter, as the story goes, to a particular campground. And she was asking for reservations. But she wanted to inquire about the, about the bathroom situation, about the restroom uh, facilities. But she just couldn't bring herself in her letter to write the word toilet. And so she started thinking about what other terms she could use. And she decided to go with sort of an old-fashioned term bathroom commode, bathroom commode. She thought that that would be appropriate language. But as she rewrote the letter, she realized that's just kind of a long way to, to, to refer to a restroom. So in her letter, she actually shortened uh, bathroom commode to BC, BC. And she asked specifically in her letter, does the campground have its own BC? Well, of course, when the owner of the campground got the letter, he was sort of perplexed about this. What what in the world could she mean? What was she asking for when she asked about the B.C.? And so he started asking those in in the campground, sort of maybe they would know what this woman was asking for. And And so he asked around, and nobody really knew. 
until he got to one, uh, one, one man. And, th- and this gentleman was sort of a strict Southern Baptist type, if you will. And, and the man said, well, she must be asking about the Baptist church. She must be asking about the BC in town. And the owner said, well, that makes sense. And so he responded with a letter of his own. And, and this is his letter. Dear Madam, I regret very much in the delay in answering your letter. But I now take a pleasure, the pleasure of informing you, that the BC is located nine miles north of the campsite. And it's capable of seating 250 people at one time. Now, he, he said, I, I admit, it's a quite a distance away if you're in the habit of going regularly. In fact, the last time my wife and I went was six years ago. And it was so crowded that we had to stand up the whole time we were there. I'd like to say that it pains me very much not to be able to go more regularly. But it surely is not for a lack of desire on our part. In fact, as we, as we grow older, it becomes more and more of an effort and, and harder to go, and particularly in cold weather. And he concluded by saying this, If you decide to come down to the campground, perhaps I could go with you for the first time and, and sit with you, and I can introduce you to the other folks. This is really a very friendly community. Well, today in part four of our winter sermon series, Comfortable Christianity, we will be looking at the second of four commitments that God calls us to. So the question really that has shaped and framed our second, the second half of our sermon series is, is this. What does God call Christians to be committed to? And last week, if you were with us, we saw that God calls us to be committed to him. But not only that, as our passage in 1 John shows us, not only does God call us to be committed to himself, but he calls us to be committed to the B.C. And no, I don't mean bathroom commode, and I don't even mean the Baptist church. But God calls us to be committed to another B.C., the bride of Christ, if you will, the bride of Christ. Of course, we're talking about the church. And so to discover what commitment to God's people, the church, looks like we will turn to a foundational section of scripture. We get a beautiful portrait of the of, of what life was like in the early church. Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 42 and running through verse 47. And in our passage today, we will discover uh, what being committed to church means. And it means three things from this passage. Three things. Being committed to church means being committed, number one, to learning from the church to learning from the church. Number two, being committed to church being, uh, means being committed to being with the church. And then number three, being committed to church means uh, serving the church. Learning from the church, being with the church, and serving the church. These three things we see encapsulated beautifully in Acts chapter 2. So let's begin with learning from the church. We see that in the very first phrase in Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 42. Notice what Luke tells us. He says of these early Christians, this first church, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And then he goes on to say, and to fellowship to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. So in this opening sentence of Luke's portrait of life in the early church, he tells us that the Christian church devoted themselves to two things. Did you see them? Very plainly in the text. They devoted themselves, number one, to the apostles' teaching, and number two, to fellowship. Now we'll pause on fellowship 
We'll get to that in point number two. But in point number one, the early church committed themselves, Luke tells us, to the apostles' teaching, which simply means that when the apostles were around and they were teaching, that the early Christians were there. They were committed to being there when the apostles taught. And of course, they tried to put into practice what they had heard. In short, you could say that the early church gave priority to the word of God. Now, the apostles' teaching certainly would have included at least two things. Number one, when the apostles taught in the early church, what do you think their main manuscript would have been? Hint, hint, it's sitting in your lap, and it is, oh, a good chunk of what you have in the Bible. I'm talking about the Old Testament, right? The Old Testament was the first text for the early church. And so when the early church gathered, the apostles began to teach certainly they would have used the Old Testament to teach about the life of Christ, uh, his fulfillment of all that the Old Testament taught. They would have taught the Old Testament. But not only that, they certainly would have talked and taught about the life of Christ. Because who were these guys? They were the apostles. They were the disciples. They were with Jesus when he taught on the earth. And so certainly they would have taught the Old Testament and they would have told time and time again the stories of being with Jesus and what Jesus had actually taught. Now, of course, it was during this time period when the early church was just born and being formulated that these very same apostles were doing what? They were traveling, some of them, and they were writing letters to the churches, were they not? And so during this time, you have what is the formulation of the rest of the Bible, right? The New Testament was being formed. All of these three things together, I think, encompass what Acts means when it says that the early church, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. So, the first church was committed to being taught by those entrusted with the task of teaching in the early church, and that was clearly the apostles. But who has that task today? Well, I would argue that it's those gifted and called by a local church, such as pastors, teachers, and evangelists. And I say that because of what we see in Ephesians chapter 4. It's on the screen behind me. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. Paul says this, So Christ himself gave, that is, he gave to the church, apostles, prophets, and then we see evangelists, and pastors, and teachers. To what end did God give gifted teachers and preachers of the word to his church? Verse 12, to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. So friends, what this means for me and for you is that to be committed to God's people is that we must be committed to learning from the word and from one another. And that's why being here to sit under the preaching of the word of God is so vital to our spiritual health. It's so vital to our relationship with God, and it's even vital to our relationship with one another. The the picture that we get in Acts chapter 2 is that every time the church doors, so to speak, were open, is that the Christians were there. They were committed to being under the teaching of the Word of God. And so, friends, I wonder, every time the church doors are open here or in other local churches, are 
Is that the same with us? Are we here? Are we committed to hearing from the Word of God? Friends, that's why being involved in small group Bible studies, Sunday school classes, men's Bible studies, women's Bible studies, whatever avenue it may be, it is so vital for us and for us as a church and for us individually to be committed to this. So let me just challenge us here. Friends, our adult Sunday school class here at Grace, given the size of this congregation, could be two times what it is. We could be two or three classes if we were committed to being together under the word of God. We need each other here. We have different experiences. We have different educations. We have different insights. We have different spiritual gifts. And all of this comes together in a beautiful formula. As we sit under gifted teachers and preachers and evangelists, we need each other, spiritually speaking. Stories told of a churchgoer who is sort of disgruntled. And so he wrote a letter to the editor of his local newspaper, and he was sort of complaining about going to church. And he wrote this, I've gone to church now for for 30 years. In that time, I've heard something like 3,000 sermons. But for the life of me, I can't remember a single one of them. So I think I'm wasting my time. And the pastors are wasting their time. Of course, uh, somebody wrote in a response to the newspaper, and the response went this way. I've been married now for, th- for 30 years. In that same time, my wife has cooked me some 32,000 meals. But for the life of me, I-, I cannot recall the entire menu for a single one of those meals. But then he added, but this I do know. They all nourished me, and they all gave me strength that I needed to do my work. If my wife had not given me those meals, I I would be physically dead today. And then he closes by saying, Likewise, if I had not gone to church for nourishment, I would be spiritually dead today. Friends, I wonder how many of us are spiritually anemic because all we do is sit for one hour for a 30-minute sermon, 40 if you're gracious to me, right? And that's all the Word of God that we get. It's all the Word of God that we get. Friends, we need to be committed to the Word of God individually, and especially committed to the Word of God corporately. So what does it mean to be committed to church? It means being committed to learning from the church. But not only that, let's look back at Acts chapter 2, verse 42, because we see a a second component. It not only means being committed to learning from the church, but it means being committed to being with the church. Being with the church. Notice Acts chapter 2 the tail end of verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, and then Luke mentions a second category, and to fellowship. And then he sort of explains a little bit what he means by that. To the breaking of bread and to prayer. There was a, a dear woman whose name was uh, uh, Mammy. And as the story goes, Mammy was a widow who had been widowed for quite some time. And she made frequent trips to the post office. One day, uh, she went to the post office, and there was a really long line of people who were waiting for service from the postal clerks. And all she really needed that day was stamps. And so a helpful observer asked her, "Um, Mammy, why why don't you just go use the stamp machines? They're right over there. You can get all the stamps you need, and you really don't have to 
wait in line like the rest of us. To which she replied, I know, dear, I know. But the machine over there can't ask me about how my arthritis is doing. You know, friends, we need other people, do we not? We need relationships with others, just like Mammy does. And in particular, as Christians, we need relationships with other believers, do we not? And so, in 42, Luke continues, and he says that the early church was devoted or committed to a term in Greek called koinonia, fellowship. It simply means um, sharing something with someone or sort of being in partnership with somebody. Fellowship at its root, it has different nuances, but at its root it simply means that there is a sharing going on. There is a partnership, a joining together uh, for some purpose or towards some end. And so Luke says that the early Christians, they were devoted to fellowship. And then he mentions two specific things that they were in partnership over or that they shared together. Number one, they were committed to sharing the breaking of bread together. And number two, they were committed to to prayer, to prayer. Now, as we move down in our text a little bit, take a look at verse 46. Because in verse 46 and 47, I think what Luke does is he sort of um, fleshes out, he gives us a, like an, a solid example as to what this fellowship, this breaking of bread in this prayer time looked like. So take a look at verse 46, if you will. Luke continues, Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread, right? There's the mention of the bread. They broke bread in their homes, and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So from these three verses, 42 and 46 and 47, I think we can make some initial observations about what Luke means when he says that the early church was committed or devoted to fellowship. Observation number one. Fellowship involves being with other people, spending time with other Christians, like face-to-face, hand-to-hand, shoulder-to-shoulder, in the same room together, right? We're not talking about a Facebook conversation or a text message. This is being with other believers tangibly. Second observation, this happened regularly. Did you notice that from the text? It was sort of an ongoing pattern. In fact, um, for the early church, they met every day. I don't think we have to see each other every day, but it's worth noting the fact that um, their being together was not just sort of haphazard. It was intentional, and it happened pretty regularly. And then number three, fellowship seems to have involved in the early church a, a larger group gathering that was public in nature, and then what else did they do? They met in homes, did they not? There were, there were smaller groups of Christians that, that met together. So they, they met as sort of a larger congregation in the temple courts. And then just here and there, as they could, they met in each other's homes, right? Large group time, small group time. And number four, what did they do during their time together? Well, we see some things. Surely it uh, They were listening to the apostles' teachings. I think that's got to be a part of it. But not only that, they prayed. They prayed together. That's mentioned twice. They prayed together. They praised God together with glad hearts. Maybe that involves singing. 
The word praise often can refer to that. And then we get this mention, Luke says, to the breaking of bread. And then a little bit later in verse uh, 46, they broke bread in their homes. Friends, what, what is this talking about? The breaking of bread. Well, in the New Testament, it can mean two things or both. Um, the breaking of, of bread could simply be a reference to having a meal together. We see this in the book of Acts. Um, when, the, when the Christians came together, they, they broke bread. It simply means they had a meal together. But it, it means more than that. It can mean more than that. It, at times in the New Testament, we see the breaking of bread symbolizes what? Communion, right? When we uh, break bread and, and share in wine uh, or some other beverage of choice, right? Um, to commemorate what Christ has done. In fact, sometimes it actually means both. And the picture that we get in the Bible is that when the Christians were just together and, and they were enjoying time and they were, they were sharing a meal together. And at some point, somebody said, let's take the cup. Let's take the bread. And let's remember what Christ has done. Um, that is what was going on. See, the eating of a meal together in particular in that culture um, was very different than typically how it is in Western or American culture. In that culture, to share a meal with someone was to, 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 to offer um, hospitality to them, to have them in your home. It was a, um, a very intimate kind of thing. You enjoyed your time. 